Pop Punk and Pizza Podcast is brought to you by Pop Punk Takeout, which is a monthly subscription box filled with merchandise from pop punk artists from all over the world delivered right to your door in a pizza takeout box or a Chinese food takeout box. You can sign up right now at poppunktakeout.com and also follow them on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok at Pop Punk Takeout. I'm going out, I gotta go, I'll bang a rang on the radio, so turn it up, I'm telling you, I think I'm ready for something new. Hey, hello, it's nice to meet ya, hey, come in and have a slice of pizza, hey, hello, it's nice to meet ya, hey, come in and have a slice of pizza. You're listening to Pop Punk and Pizza with Jacques Lamour. Yo, what is up? Welcome to Pop Punk and Pizza. I'm Jacques Lamore. If you listened to uh, our episode last week, you heard me talk about the unfortunate event of my external hard drive completely failing and crashing on me, which contains not every thing pop punk and pizza podcast related but a good chunk of things starting uh in march to be exact and then a another podcast i do called kankakee podcast everything i have for that podcast was also on this hard drive so everything is recoverable on this uh hard drive but i have to pay a company between $2,400 and $2,600 to recover the data on it so I uh, officially decided I'm going to uh, launch a Kickstarter. So I'm, I'm in the process of doing that to raise money to, um, to, to help pay for the recovery of this data because it's, I don't want to lose it, right? This is all very important stuff. So the reason I'm bringing it up is because since I'm, I'm literally right now going through the, uh, the formation of coming up with uh, different perks and rewards for the Kickstarter, I want to hear from you on what you would like to pledge for on this Kickstarter. So if you're like, hey, I want to guest host an episode of Pop Punk and Pizza, or, you know, I want to be able to uh, put together playlists for the podcast, or I want t-shirt or, you know, whatever it is exactly that you'd like to pledge for, for the Kickstarter. Let me know uh, as soon as you hear this, hit me up on our Facebook, our uh, Instagram, and also our Twitter at Pop Punk Pizza Pod. You can also join our Facebook group and just let me know what you would like to pledge for, uh, because I want to make sure that I'm, I'm putting up rewards that, that you actually care about, you know? So, um, and, uh, thank you in advance, by the way, for all your feedback and encouragement on that. So our first guest, uh, tonight on the podcast is Christian Fisher. He is the front man for, um, (coughs) excuse me, settle your scores. And they just put out a new record called retrofit uh via mutant league records and it to me uh could easily become a new classic pop punk record if if that makes sense uh so let's uh let's give christian a big warm welcome oh i like i like the sound bit it's cool (laughs) thanks man gotta gotta have a you know a nice uh Got to have a nice uh, applause for you. So, Christian, thank you so much for being on the podcast. 
Hey, thanks for having me, man. And dude, I am sorry about your hard drive. I've been through <laughs> that data loss thing before. It is a nightmare. So you know, I, I totally understand your pain right now. I feel so bad for you. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. It, it, it really, it could have been worse. Um, and, and luckily, like, it, what's funny is this hard, this hard drive I bought, uh, I just bought it in March of this oh. year. So it's not even that old. But it, I, I've, see, I've never had this happen to me before, but I've learned a hard lesson um, to always back up my stuff because I did not have anything backed up on any other hard drives or a cloud. So I'm also, and I, that's what I should have said too, I'm also in the process of making sure that I have a proper backup system so that doesn't Dude, happen yeah. again because I couldn't believe how much it costs to get that recovered like Dude, it is it's, so expensive it's, it's ridiculous insane. and i had i had uh w- when i was you know posting on on uh like facebook and stuff about it saying how much it was going to cost people are like uh i think you should get a, a second opinion on that <laughs> and and i'm like they're not wrong but like the other places i i um i looked at were roughly the same and i also trust like the computer tech uh guy that i have you know right um i i I trust his judgment and i don't want to screw around with this stuff like i don't want to take it to like some dude's cousin that (laughs) you know like screws around with computer stuff like on his off days from doing whatever like because from what i've been told by different uh techs is that the more you mess with the hard drive the more you lose you know um so it's like so it's like yeah i want to make sure i can get everything if not right. almost everything but yeah man what when, when did uh when did that happen to you what did you lose it was like a few years ago i had it was actually it was an xbox hard drive i had like oh, all man. my save files on there and it was oh. like before this was like the 360 days when they didn't have cloud storage so i had like my whole game library on there and it got i forget like how it got destroyed i think i spilled something on it but it was rough man super rough rp fallen soldier yeah that is uh that is super rough i um the 360s don't or did it come eventually did there was there a cloud backup eventually for three i'm pretty sure microsoft had that like towards the tail end of it when they had the one coming out but i i can't remember specifically but yeah it was it was a rough time i lost all my stuff yeah, that sucks. I'm sure um I'm sure if my brother Joe was here right now, he would know all about it cuz he used to fix um Xbox 360s and and resell them online all the time. I can't remember exactly what he would do to like refurbish them. It probably had something to do with the I'm sure the hard drives and stuff like that, but uh right. I'm sure he would he would know all about that if he was here. We got uh let's see, we got the low rollers gaming <laughs> said uh f for christian's uh xbox f F, 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 F in the chat boys (laughs) absolutely uh jane bostwick said she wants a coffee mug yeah i'm gonna try to have some coffee mugs for the the kickstarter can't Um, go wrong with a solid mug yeah right i mean you can never have too many coffee mugs i have a coworker who just has like a big collection of them that would be like if i collected like pizza boxes or like pizza cutters <laughs> you know and i really think it would be hard to collect pizza cutters but pizza boxes probably would be you know um 
Oh, <laughs> thanks, man. Do you know who Low Rollers Gaming is? That's my buddy, Joe. Oh, okay. Um, thanks, he, Joe. Yeah, he and I were, were D&D buddies, and we actually, we made dice together okay. for D&D. Like, we made, like, handmade custom dice. He's one of my wow. good pals. So what's the trick about, uh, dun- you're talking about Dungeons and Dragons, right? For sure. So how did you get introduced to that? Because that is a world that I have never gotten into. And whenever I come across someone who does that or magic, I just kind of want to like try to learn and understand exactly how it works. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, I mean, so you said you've never jumped into the world of D&D my recommendation would be don't unless you want it to like consume your life <laughs> honestly like i play so much D&D and think about D&D all the time but the Do- way i got introduced to it was my dad he actually played like the first edition back in like the late 70s early 80s oh, so wow. he he was all about it like he when i was a kid he would like he played like the digital game on like old pc like the floppy disks oh man so would, I, I, yeah i remember yeah. those he would he would play those and he would say like hey like we're gonna play this game and he would just like play and we would sit and watch and me and my little brother and so i've been interested ever since i started playing the actual like fifth edition tabletop with joe low rollers gaming and then some other pals so what exactly is the the goal or object or like the synopsis of Dungeons and Dragons? That's the crazy thing, man, is D&D. It allows you to do whatever synopsis you want to do. Like there's like classic books, like through the actual like D&D Forgotten Realms Sword Coast universe, but then there's also like you can do like Star Wars D and D campaign. I was gonna say, isn't there? Yeah. I there there used to be uh, a growing up in in the town I grew up in, Mantino. There used to be like a, a gaming shop downtown, mm-hmm. and they would play D and D. And I'd watch through the window as I would walk by sometimes to see what they had in there and what they were playing. And I remember seeing like Lord of the Rings, like. Yep. D and D, so it's kind of, is it, so it's almost is it similar to like all, all the different Monopoly versions? Is it kind of like that? You know how there's uh, close enough. I mean, the thing is, it's it's if you want to like be creative and you want to like role play as like an adventurer, <laughs> it's pretty cool. Yeah, you can just like do whatever. Like, there's books about every type of universe and like every type of setting you know what i mean it's pretty endless so it's like the nerdiest thing you could it is possibly like i don't know how i've ever had a girlfriend honestly (laughs) (laughs) but it's awesome it's are you single now or are you are you taken uh well i'm actually kind of in the process of separating from a marriage but i don't want to go into the details (laughs) i'm not gonna make you dig that up if you know i understand is moving through it yeah is it, it's because the D and D, isn't it? That's exactly why. <laughs> like hands down, exactly. <laughs> you don't you don't make love to me anymore. You just play D and D. You keep talking like an orc. What the fuck is wrong with you? <laughs> oh, you like it reminds me of um there's the movie with Zach Efron and Matthew Perry, 17 again. Where, about right? I think yeah, I've seen that. Yeah, 17 again. One. Yeah, where like his brother, or I think it's his brother, is like is boning the principal. 
Oh yeah, and, they are huge larpers. Yeah, and they're <laughs> like they're super into like the Lord of the Rings shit. Yeah, that, that yeah. is that is D and D to a T, like hardcore. <laughs> Gosh, epic. Yeah, this is the quote of the night so far. You keep fucking like an orc. <laughs> yeah, that's that's uh, that's so far the uh, quote of the night. I love it. I'm glad. Uh, glad. I'm we sorry saved. for ruining your podcast. Yeah, that's it. Good night, folks. <laughs> We'll be here uh, tomorrow, same time. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, but uh, aside from that, we should probably actually talk about settle, settle your yes. scores. Yes. Uh, yes. So retrofit just came out August twentieth uh, via Mutant League Records, and I was I was pleasantly surprised when I I dove in and I I took a listen to it first track um, right out of the gate. And I've actually been listening to the record pretty much nonstop since it since it came out this uh, that this makes last me so Friday. Happy, man, it's it's really I, I really meant what I said uh, when I when I brought you on. Um, I, I could see this becoming a a new um, classic album for the, like this decade. You know, being like, oh, but what about you know retrofit from settle your scores like that album is amazing you know like that i could just see it becoming uh a new classic for that makes me so happy man that is like that's one of the most humbling things to ever hear i'm not even gonna lie (laughs) i mean so much that's the goal right i mean oh yeah it's still crazy to hear that you know what i mean yeah it's everyone's dream i mean i can i can tell this is well put together it's well produced um you know i mean it's uh it's 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 familiar but it's also fresh you know um there's there's a nice mix of of different styles of pop punk in there from different eras right. and things like that um and i kind of like how you know the first those first three songs they kind of all go together and maybe the whole record does but i just really noticed it for the first three songs how well they mold together and i miss uh records that would always kind of concentrate on that where like you know like the first three or four songs they just like smack you in the face you know with like boom 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 and and obviously yeah and 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 of course the whole record is great it's not just because the other like right before we were going on i had um staring at the ceiling stuck in my head you know that's another uh and that's track five that's right in the middle of the record um so it's it's a it's a great uh got got a lot of variety going on in this record but um for you where does uh where does it begin where does retro fit begin how do you mean like begin like what was the what was the first song that (laughs) came together um so ricky our guitarist he's the primary songwriter of the band he just cranks songs out like he has had (laughs) Uh, I would say most of retrofit written before like our album cycle for our second album even ended. Like we were wow. practicing those songs. Yeah. We actually wanted to go and record retrofit a lot earlier uh-huh. than we did. Um, but we were, we were on an album cycle for better luck tomorrow. Um, but I, I think from what I remember, it's been so long, man, I'm not even kidding. I think the first song that he pitched to us was meant for misery. So it was meant for misery 
1999. There were actually a couple songs that did not make the record that he pitched after those two. Mm-hmm. Um, but then they just kind of followed sequentially. Like it pretty much came the way that they were written on the album. So, um, you know, one of the songs, Jenna Tools, that's actually written by our bass player. So that was actually around the same time Meant for Misery came out. But this record has been in the works for so long. And to hear you say, this might be a new classic that just makes all the time and waiting and effort feel so worth it. You have no idea how good that feels to hear, man. So we worked guys, so hard on this album. Were you sitting on it uh, during the pandemic? Or? Oh, dude. Yeah, we were we were writing and recording pretty much, you know, before the pandemic. The pandemic came around and we did tighten up some things and we did record a couple songs, but it was pretty much completely written like before the pandemic was even over. So, okay. Yeah, we Damn. were kind of sitting on those songs. Yeah, I, I guess it's good that we didn't release the record right when we had everything done because yeah. it would have been a shitty pandemic album release. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so it we kind of wanted to wait until the pandemic kind of slowed down so we can kind of evaluate like, where's the music industry? Can we tour? Can we even play shows? Like, are people even watching lives? You know what I mean? We had to like co- cover all the bases basically is what we were looking to do. But yeah, it's been a long time coming, dude. I'm so excited to have this record out. It would be that that is the hardest thing to sit on new material. It really is. I dude. can't remember who I was talking to on the podcast not too long ago about that, but it's just so it's so hard to do because I know, man. It, it's uh especially when it's it's um it, it, like I said, it's something as good as retrofit, you know, and and you're going through this whole pandemic and everyone is like, well, I guess we can just listen to new music. But it's like, well, I don't know if this is a good time. Like everyone else is sitting on records they want to release. And right. it's just the toughest thing to do when you get so excited about something. Absolutely. And that's the other thing, too, is the longer we waited, the longer we were like, oh, man, like hopefully like the hype from our last album doesn't die down. Hopefully the the hype from our last tour doesn't die down. But luckily, it seems like everything is, you know, right on track. You know what I mean? It seems like the re- the response has been pretty good um, and the hype. You know, that was my main concern was we waited a long time to release this. I think it's been like three years. You know what I mean? So we were kind of worried about that. But luckily, everyone was like, oh. The boys are back, so yeah, nothing really changed, which makes me happy. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Are are you so when uh y- your bassist brings the the songs to the table, or do you write the lyrics for it, or is he pretty much the soul of of everything? Typically, Ricky, he's our he's our guitarist and primary. He does vocals too, actually. Ricky does guitar, vocals, and song rights, like ninety nine percent of everything. Um, our 1999 percent of everything. Yeah, that was that was pretty horrible. much. <laughs> I'm hey, gonna man. go. I'm gonna. I'm gonna just go. No, dude, now cue that I'll... applause sound bite. That was lit. <laughs> I don't know. That was yeah. that was that was possibly that was possibly the worst pun I've ever I done. I think that was the best pun, dude. Oh, so well, thank you. History. I'm I'm glad that you're not uh, gonna shun me for that one, dude. Thank I you. I love a good pun, honestly, for real. <laughs> um, so Ricky. He's the primary guy like he is a songwriting mastermind. He brings fully written demos like multiple vocal layers, guitars, bass, drums. He writes everything. 
he just sends it to the band email and says, hey, guys, got a new banger. And we're like, oh, fuck, he does have a new banger because every time he does, <laughs> he it's kidding. amazing. Yeah. <laughs> and it's all like perfectly written usually. Um, yeah. But after that, you know, we all come together. Obviously, we practice the songs live. If stuff doesn't sound right or it's cha- like too challenging to pull off live or, you know, it's just something isn't correct. Um we collaborate, you know what I mean? There's parts added during the recording process. There's parts removed during the recording process. Yes. I fuck up lyrics during the recording process. And then we just <laughs> go with the takes <laughs> that happened on one of our singles from the second album. I fucked the lyrics up, but the take was good. So we just kept the wrong lyrics. Really? Um, yeah. Man. On keep your chin up the chorus. Um, the, the line is supposed to be thought that after all this time, my life would work out fine. But I said, turn out fine instead of work out fine. Oh, well, takes, that's not that bad. Well, that I feel bad it, because if someone got my lyrics wrong, I'd be pissed. But Ricky, he's he's the man. He, uh-huh. he doesn't care. <laughs> I mean, at least you didn't like it, it. It wasn't like really far off. Like, right. you know, you didn't completely change what you were trying to say like the the point has still gotten across you know yep. um speaking of 1999 what do you wish you could bring back from 1999 basically everything man Every- i love the <laughs> like i wasn't even that old when it was i was seven years old when it was 1999 but okay. i remember it so vividly and that's why i was stoked that ricky wrote that song because being a kid in the 90s and I guess early 2000s, it's it blends together, obviously. But yeah, um, I think it was that that vibe of technology is getting to be really great, but you can still rely on imagination and like hard work and like research in general. I don't know if that makes sense. It was like pre smartphone times. Yes. But you were still able to enjoy convenience and technology. Like as a kid, you could play with a stick in the 90s and it'd be really really cool or you could jump on the n64 and play ocarina of time it was a pretty great duality yeah i agree i i think that probably was the the best thing is is because you know millennials experienced time they experienced time before smartphones so they yep. they kind of were we we were kind of able to experience that and then kind of grow up into the technology. Um, Absolutely. But some could argue technically all generations grow through technology, which is is absolutely true. But so so before we recorded, I was looking up like what things actually happened in 1999 because there's some things I can't remember because I was I was nine years old so I wasn't much older than you um and uh Napster was created in 1999 (laughs) classic uh, yeah in June so there's that um thank you Napster I mean I illegally downloaded stuff from Napster so much and LimeWire and LimeWire yeah, like you like you wouldn't believe. There was something else. Um gosh, I can't remember what it was now that I was looking at. I was looking it up on Wikipedia. Of course, Wikipedia can get things wrong. It could even be wrong about that, but still, Napster was even if it was off by a year, you know, 
I'm um, pretty sure we did the same thing when we were actually coming up with the concept for the video. We were like, okay, there's going to be people that realize some of this stuff is not from 1999. And there were a couple <laughs> things in the video where people are like, the Mark, Tom and Travis show actually came out in 2000. I forget what year, but they saw the Mark, Tom and Travis show poster. And they're like, it actually didn't come out in 1999, bro. And we were like, oh, they got I think it, it was they, probably it. 2000. I think it was 2000, like right on the dot. And we were like, fuck, they found it. <laughs> <laughs> close, close enough close enough close enough i mean it all kind of blends like that 99 to like 2002 or three i would say that's all kind of the same year in my brain just because i was a kid yeah exactly it it all blends together and and uh low rollers gaming says rugrats bro yeah definitely that was that was a it's now a classic for sure i love rugrats um but we should probably jump to uh, before we wrap up because we do have to get to Scott of Pulley for our yeah. our second guest tonight. Um, but uh, we should probably talk about uh, your most recent single, which is "Broken Heart Scenario," um, and talk about throwbacks. Um, oh yeah, <laughs> the, the music video for this song is just it just it uh, it's dripping with that two thousands scene. Uh, kid image in it. Um, 2005, baby. That yeah. was we looked right at 2005 specifically, and we just looked at promo photos, bands. Um, I was actually super, super stoked to do that video and that song because that was more my style growing up. Was like I was super into like scene and like screamo. You know what I mean? Like yes. the yeah, the, the scene kid. Emo, yeah, so and... the rest of the guys were more into the pop punk stuff, but I was the emo kid, man. Like I love that shit. Under Oath is my favorite band by far. Like they always will be. Okay. Number one. I never would have guessed. That's awesome. Oh, yeah. That's awesome, man. Um, so before we play uh, Broken Heart Scenario, uh, what what else, uh, where can everyone find uh, Retrofit and, and all the Settle Your Scores socials and all that stuff and anything uh, else related to the band? Sure. So you can find our music on pretty much any streaming platform, uh, Spotify, Apple Music, Google Play, all that good stuff. Um, just search Settle Your Scores, Retrofit. It'll pop right up. You'll see the album art. It's got the notebook paper and some doodles on it. Um, our social media, you can find us on Facebook, Settle Your Scores. You can find us on Instagram, Settle Your Scores. Um, Twitter, I think it's SYS Pop Punk. Um, and recently, I started doing TikTok kind of individually, but I have band stuff on there and music-related stuff on there. Um, but it's underneath my solo project that I'm writing right now. Um, it's called blades, but it's blades B L V D E S. So kind of calling back to the, the emo kid in me, that a (laughs) is upside down. It's a V it's super cringe, but Hey, whatever. Nice. Um, but the, the TikTok you can find that under blades official B L V D E S official, um, and there is there's there's pop punk stuff on there. It's not just solo music stuff, but OK. Um, and one other thing I want to plug since I see Joe Low Rollers Gaming in here is <laughs> we have another project. He and I um, we're doing it's called Stormcraft Woodwork. So we're going to okay. make custom woodwork stuff for tabletop games. So oh, if you're that's super cool. into D&D. If you want to buy some cool, really nice custom wood stuff for your dice, for your table, whatever. We're going to be posting some stuff on our socials. You can just find it by searching Stormcraft Woodwork. Nice. That's yes, awesome. Yes, sir. 
Cool. All right. Well, Christian Fisher from Settle Your Scores, thank you so much for being on the show, man. Thanks for having me, dude. It was so yeah. fun. I am always down to come on here. This has been a blast. Okay. Yeah, we'll have to do this again for sure. And Absolutely, uh, maybe buddy. maybe the next time when you're in Chicago, we can we can hook up. Oh, dude, so. absolutely. I'm so <laughs> down. That sounds really fun. <laughs> All right, man. Take care. See you, man. This is another classic case of a broken boy who learned to hate the Broken Heart Scenario by Settle Your Scores. 
their from their brand new record retrofit which is out now via mutant league records make sure you uh, pick up a copy of that record it's absolutely amazing obviously uh, before buying a physical copy you can listen to it on spotify and uh, the video is directed by alex zarek it's absolutely amazing in case you're listening to this instead of watching it uh, find that on on youtube and and uh, give it a watch uh, before i bring scott radinsky of uh, pulley onto the podcast just want to remind you real quick that pop punk and pizza podcast is presented by pop punk takeout which is a monthly subscription box it delivers merchandise from pop punk artists from all over the world and delivers it directly to your door in a takeout box in a pizza takeout box or a uh, chinese food takeout box there's uh, two different versions of it now for the month of september they've teamed up with smart punk records to put out a very special box and it does include items from chris demakes of less than jake so uh, that's just one of the many artists you'll find in the september box so if you want to sign up for that today go to poppunktakeout.com and also follow them on social media uh facebook instagram and tiktok at pop punk takeout uh let's uh, go ahead and, and bring scott onto the show He's probably one of the most, no, he is one of the most interesting guests I've ever had on the show because not only is he the front man of a well-known skate punk band, but he was also a major league baseball player as well. And and that is definitely a first for us here on Pop Punk and Pizza. So thank you so much for being here, Scott. Yeah. Seriously, I've never interviewed an, uh, a major league baseball player, so this is so cool. Yeah, well, we've never <laughs> we've never talked to each other, so that's why. No. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. I mean, you have such a a unique story. I mean, no one else, I feel like, in punk rock has a story quite like yours. I mean, obviously, everyone's different, but. There, there, a lot of uh, I feel like a lot of people in the scene have a lot of similar stories, but you're like uh, you were in a punk band and playing baseball at the same time. So it's like uh, it's just mind blowing to me how uh, and and I'm sure you look back at it now yourself and probably think, how the how the hell did I do that? You know, yeah, um, you know. <laughs> Sometimes, uh, just doing, (laughs) just doing one now seems challenging, but, uh, yeah, you know, back in high school, when we, when we first started, we were, you know, a SoCal hardcore type band, you know, in the early mid eighties, just kind of playing and, and, uh, didn't, didn't put much thought into, you know, I was going to school. So that's what I was doing at school. And then we go home and, you know, after school, we, we jam, play a gig on the weekend here and there and didn't really seemed that like a, a overwhelming or daunting, you know, and then as it became a, a baseball after high school became a profession. And, you know, obviously at the time music was, and really still is, it's, it's never been a, a livelihood for us. Um, but certainly back in those times, uh, you know, you're lucky to, to scrape up enough money to, for gas, you know, to go play a gig. So, uh, once once things started going and uh you know I, I i had some i had some time to kind of stabilize myself in the baseball world there for a few years um and then somewhere around 92 93 i think the music started to shift a little bit and we kind of shifted with it and and that's when things became a little more challenging um you know that the shows were better there was uh 
more of a, I guess, a want, you know, to, to book us and to play. And we had offers to go on to do tours. So that's when, that's when things really for me personally became uh, kind of challenging because, well, definitely challenging. Um, you know, baseball's an eight month tour for those who don't know it's, it's basically it's February to October and there's a handful of days off in there and that's really it. Uh, and you know, I'd come home after this grueling eight month tour of constant travel and, and, and doing things and maybe get a week or two and then we would go on tour somewhere. So there was a few years in there where it really became, uh, yeah, I was kind of burning it at both ends for sure. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Cause you're, you're literally, you're pretty much on tour all year round with baseball and with the band, mm-hmm. you know, so I, I can't imagine uh, what that must have been like, especially in those early days of touring, you know, I mean, it, it it's, it's a lot, it was a lot different then than it is now. Right. You know, we got the smartphones and everything now, so it makes things so much easier to navigate, let alone everything else. Yeah. Touring was, uh, we, we joked about it the other day at rehearsal, like, you know, having all the maps out, trying to figure out where the street signs were in, in, <laughs> on the buildings in Europe because they don't have the traditional, you know, posts with a with a street sign. And, uh, you know, just trying to find our ways around places we haven't been. There was no, uh, you know, there was no, uh, I don't even think MapQuest existed. I think we had it one tour, but like one of the last U.S. tours we did or Canadian tour or something, there was, you know, the ability to like go on a computer and, and, pre-route our, our trip and and half that was wrong anyway you know they always sent us yeah. going the wrong direction so it never worked yes, but, yes. Uh, good old yeah. uh, map quest i think was that was yeah. one of the big ones anyway yeah I, rem- I think yeah i remember using that and i remember you know you you would you know you type in your your addresses in map quest you print out your directions and then Lo and behold, it it took you either to the wrong address or a wrong turn, or it it would just it wasn't always accurate. Definitely was not accurate. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if uh, I don't know if bands nowadays really understand. Um, well, I'm sure they do, but it's 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 a lot easier now with the with the uh, the ability to have a phone in your pocket. That can that can you can answer email, you can get a phone call, you can push a map uh, icon or an app, and it just makes it so much easier to uh, to go out into the world that you know it's, it's this this new challenging unknown world that you're venturing into, and and uh, you know have the ability to not have to go find a payphone or ask somebody in a, in a city center, Hey, do you know where this club is? And, and just drive around in circles everywhere. So <laughs> what's a story that, that sticks out in your mind as, as we're talking about this, is there a particular uh, time you can think of where you, uh, you got lost, um, you know, or were super late to a show? Oh, there's, there's probably a ton of stories. I, I can go back to one, in 85, um, we were touring, uh, actually we were touring with no effects, believe it or not. Oh, wow. Um, and, uh, we both sucked at the time, but we, <laughs> but we were touring around, uh, it was our Christmas vacation. We were in high school and, and we went off to like Arizona, New Mexico, Texas, and the descendants just put out their, uh, um, God, I'm going to, 
I'm going to go blank here. It's the yellow record. The second one. Um, I'm going blank on that. Silly, silly girl. Um, anyway. Um, so they were touring on, on that record and we had a show in Amarillo, Texas with them. Okay. And I just remember we were driving around in circles, driving around in circles, driving around. And when we <laughs> finally got to the club, the gig was over. Oh no, you're kidding me. Uh, yeah. It was like 11, 12 o'clock at night. The promoter was super cool. He, you know, allowed us, invited us to come back to his house. Man. And, uh, you know, we were able to stay there cause that's kind of what you did. You stayed on promoters floors right exactly or, or, or sometimes they let you stay at the venue depending on you know what that situation was like yeah i only stayed in some venues in europe but for the most part it was a promoter in the states so I, I remember that show being completely lost and we were just driving around and guys were getting on each other's nerves turn that way turn that way and of course nobody knew where the hell we were going <laughs> and i don't i don't think amarillo texas is really that big to be honest with you I don't uh, think so. I mean, not, not to get lost for hours and hours. No, uh-uh. But there's a there's another one that's super positive. That, okay. Uh, we we were in Europe the first I don't know four or five tours we had ever done, and we would drive our own van and 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 have a trailer, and the booking agent would give us these maps, but they were photocopied, so they were blurred. You could barely read them. Oh man, it was just like a blob of ink. So, so we go to uh, some local places and try to, you know, find some, oh, hey, we're going to Paris. Let's find a map or find a map of France or whatever. And our guitar player, Mike was sitting in the, I would drive and he was sitting in the pastor seat and he was like the, we called him Magellan. He was like the navigator. <laughs> and somehow I just remember looking over to the pastor seat and he had, I'm not exaggerating. He had like, it looked like 10 different newspapers in his hands. He was shuffling papers around, looking at turn right. He'd look at another paper, turn left. And I swear to God, before you knew it, we were in the club parking lot. And I looked at him. I said, how the hell did you do that? He goes, I don't know. Don't ask me to get us out of here. So that was, that was, that actually worked out in our favor. That was a good one. But there's so many of those stories. Yeah. Pure, pure luck on that one. Oh yeah. Gosh, man. Especially um, on the one way streets. Yeah. <laughs> um, that Descendants record was I'm guessing it was I Don't Want to Grow Up. I Don't Want to Grow Up, yeah. 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 Um, that was Yellow. Yellow, yeah, that's the one. Yeah. That was 85. Yep. So yeah. that was a tour they were on, and that was a year. And I don't know like the po- what the population would have been in Amarillo, but it's almost 200,000 now. But back in 19, what was that, 85, you 85, said? 85, yeah. It's really hard to say how much it was then, you know. So that's, I mean... Depending on what part of the world you're from, like to me, that's a decent size just because I grew up in a town of like 10,000 people. So like, you know, almost 200,000 people is, is big, you know? Yeah. But, you know. Um, Still, we had five hours to find this place. We couldn't do it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So. And do you remember like what the any of the the promoters or the bands or anything like that said to you? They're just like, yeah. It happens, or were were they uh, pretty pretty upset? Oh no, definitely not upset. Um, no, there was no money at stake. They didn't care. It was a yeah. descendant show, and I don't even know if we were. We didn't have guarantees back then. You just kind of no. went for it, and they were like, "Hey, we'll yeah. give you what we can give you," and yeah. you just kind of went out on a hope that you know we were going to make enough money to pay for gas, and and that was about it. 
Yeah. Um, food was uh, a luxury. Oh man. Um, but I, I do remember pulling up to the club and the promoter seemed very happy. He, he had a good buzz on. He, his voice was gone because he was probably singing every descendant song <laughs> possible in the set. And he was super cool and nice. And he said, ah, come on, let's come back to my house. So I just, we, I just remember we went back to his house and we stayed and then we woke up the next morning and drove to the next gig. So that's okay. It was cool. Yeah. That is, that's, that's so cool. It's, it's so uh, awesome to just think about uh, all those memories. And, uh, you know, something I can't remember is I know you were in 10 foot pole as well, but did that come before pulley or was that like around this, were, were both of those going at the same time? Well, originally our band name was, it was called Scared Straight. Right. And we were part of uh, like that whole mystic record era. Uh, yes. the, Nar- the Nardcore scene, if you're familiar with any of those bands. Um, yeah, uh, Dennis was on the show almost a year ago, maybe? Mm-hmm. And he kind of, you know, kind of filled me in on, on some of that. So, yeah, there was a cool scene out here. It was in Oxnard, it was Ventura County. It was called Nardcore. And there were some pretty big local Southern California bands, Aggression, Dr. No, Ill Repute, Stalag 13, a lot of these bigger bands, RKL. And um, so we kind of fit into that little scene a little bit because we were in the area and we're playing shows with them and, and, and a lot of those bands and whatnot. And that was under the, the name Scared Straight. Uh, that existed for about 10 years, from about 82 to 92-ish. And then we Scared Straight basically was the same members. We just changed the name to 10-Foot Pole um, as things started to shift and the musical direction changed a little bit. We, we just thought, you know what, let's go for the fresh start and let's, let's have the fresh name and which was the best move we could have ever done at the time. And, um, you know, we went a different style, almost a little more melodic and, and, um, and we did that. And that lasted for me for about two years. Um, we recorded two records and then, uh, I was asked to leave by Dennis. That's kind of, that's, and I started pulling the next day. (laughs) Literally, you started pulling the next day. The next day. Wow, man. And, and while, and mind you, this is while you were, you know, in the White Sox, right? This was in the middle of the season. Um, I was in a hotel in Kansas City and I got a phone call from him and he basically said, uh, now, now granted, now this is, This is 94, 95. I signed to play baseball in 86. I'd been going for almost nine, 10 years at this point. Um, And there was really no issue. We'd always, like I said, we had been a band for a decade or over. And we, we did a record on Epitaph and the, you know, the times were, you know, at the time it was, it was received well and there wasn't a whole lot of saturation going on quite yet. So we kind of were there at the right time there. I think there was just a handful of bands on the label that were, you know, getting popular and uh, we kind of just fit right in there and wrote a few of those coattails and, and got on some really good gigs. And so it was during the middle of the season. I remember being in a hotel in Kansas city and I got a phone call and he said, Hey, uh, we're going to continue the band without you. Uh, we'll stop what we're doing for four months out of the year and be your backup band. But then we want to continue 10 foot pole the other eight months. So my suggestion was, well, since we've been doing this for so long and we just finally scratched through the surface, 
why don't we keep what we have going on for four months? And since you guys want to be full-time musicians now, you have eight months to, you know, to do your thing. They weren't buying it. They wanted to, they wanted to kind of, there was a little bit of hype. And then, like I said, the name was on a good label and um, they wanted to go for it. So they did. And, and um, I came home, I started pulling and I made a couple phone calls. Might've even been that night. And, um, <laughs> All I know is I started pulling over the phone. I came home from baseball that year. And within three months, we had a band and a full record on Epitaph. And that's kind of where it all started, how it evolved. And and uh, to be honest, it was probably one of the best phone calls I ever got in my life. Because I doubt, I really highly doubt that the 10-foot pole people would still be coexisting to this day. There's just no way. Yeah. Yeah. I mean... It's everything, as they say, happens for a reason. As cliche as that sounds, totally you know, true. It, totally but it's, true. It's it's true. It's absolutely mm-hmm. true. Everything works out the way it's supposed to, mm-hmm. you know. And and like, and, and in your situation, it's like, well, you you kind of have to. You realize that you're like, okay, I just got to go with the flow. I'm just going to start my own band, you know. Like instead of just kind of like you know licking your wounds about it, you're like, all right. Well, I was, I was terribly disappointed and I'm and, sure you were. And, and I thought it was a bad decision. I really did. But, uh, you know, when it's four against one and, and I had a job, now they all had jobs. They all had jobs as well. And most of the time we would work around their schedules, you know, as well as mine. So it really had never become an issue until, but the thing that really bothered me was how they portrayed it to the people was like, well, Scott doesn't want to tour. Scott can't be in a band. He doesn't have time to do this. He doesn't have time to do that. And that wasn't a motivator by no means. I just, I had this itch to, I was just kind of really becoming a, what I guess in the eighties, I don't, I wouldn't consider myself a musician, but as the nineties rolled around, I felt like I had an idea of how to write a song and how to, you know, sing to a song and have melody and, so I was I was into the music and the music was changing and it was fresh and it was new and it was it was fun. So the last thing I wanted to do was start something new, but but uh, I really didn't have much of a choice. And um, that's kind of how it started. So you know, like we just mentioned, things happen for a reason, and I'm grateful for that. Yeah. Are you guys on good terms today? I have not spoke to Dennis since that phone call. Wow. Um, well, we just don't really have anything to talk about, to be honest yeah. with you. Right. Um, Tony, the drummer, was in the band. Uh, he actually was in Pulley for probably close to a decade, recorded a few records with us before he went on to join Papa Roach. Uh, Pete, the bass player, still relative, communicate with him, you know, here and there. Um, and Steve, the guitar, the other guitar player, I saw him a couple of times and it was like, you know, it was like old times. It was like, hey, what's up? And I haven't seen him in, in years. Um, really, Tony's probably the only one, the drummer, that I, you know, really kept in contact with. Pete's moved away to Florida. And like I said, I don't know where Steve really is, but I know I ran into him. But as far as Dennis went, yeah, just kind of never saw each other or spoke to each other. Yeah. I mean, and, and that's understandable. I I would imagine, though, there had to have been, did you guys ever get booked on the same festivals or anything like that where you would come across each other? Never. I guess Never you got, happened. I guess you got lucky. 
Yeah, I mean, I mean I, like I said, I was, I was, I was disappointed, and probably even you know to the point of anger for a while. But yeah, you know, at the same time, it's like, like I got my job. Um, you guys are going to go for it. Go ahead. I, I thought it was a mistake, like I said, and, and uh, you know, I, it's not for me to judge whether it turned out to be a mistake or not. Um, but I know uh, I'm in a band that's productive and I'm happy. And it's funny because I think 25 years have gone by now and I'm still playing music. So <laughs> I always wonder like, well, why did they, why was that the excuse of why did I have to be the guy that was like, took the, you know, the fall for like why I'm out of the band. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah. it was kind of more like their side of the story rather than wait a second, <laughs> you know, but I, that's neither here nor there. Yeah. Right. It's, yeah. it's all, uh, you know, it's been, yeah. What? Tw- over 20. I'm all about, yeah. It's, over 25. Right. Yeah. 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 You said about 94. Yeah. It was 95 so. when I was out of the I, band. Okay. Yeah. So. And I, <clears throat> I'm really curious to learn more about, uh, your baseball career as well. Um, just because, I mean, you were in the White Sox for how many seasons? Uh, I, yeah, with that organization for 10 years. Yeah, that's yeah. a long time. And and I, I'm just an hour south of Chicago. So, okay. Um, so it's, and it, what's, what's funny is like anytime when I, when I started seeing the name Poli coming up and things like that, um, I don't know if it was just in the last couple of years that I kind of had discovered the band. Um, but I had assumed that Poli was from Chicago just because um, <laughs> most everyone that, uh, you know, like, I don't know. I don't know if it was because the people I know kind of painted that picture like they're from Chicago. And I don't know if that had anything to do with you being with the White Sox. It probably did. But um, but yeah, when I learned that, you know, you had played for the White Sox. I'm like, oh, okay. Well, there's the there's the Chicago connection right there. You know. Yeah, and it's funny. Like when Pulley started, I left the White Sox and came home to play for the Dodgers. So I was here for three years, and that was super beneficial to the initial kind of start of what was going on. Because you know, being here at home. We'd, had off, we'd have off days here and there and we could book a gig or I could, you know, be more closer in contact, actually see each other face to face from time to time during the season, which was kind of non-existent when I was in Chicago. So that's that's right when police started. I guess it would have been the well, it was the winter of 95. And then I, I came to the Dodgers in 96. So, yeah, my, my White Sox time was was already over, unfortunately. Yeah. yeah. And was that? Was that planned? Were you like, I want to be close to home now? Or is did that just end up being like one of those deals where you got traded or how, how did that, how did that work for you? Well, the way it works is you play a certain amount of years before you're able to become a free agent. And, uh, that was my situation with the White Sox. I think it was, they were going through a, a time where, it was a, like a rebuilding period with the, with the team. Um, some of the older guys, you know, you start making money. It's like, well, we're not going to bring this guy back. We're not going to bring that guy back. And I had always kind of had in the back of my mind, obviously growing up here in Southern California and, and being a Dodger fan when I was a kid. And, you know, my first baseball games that I ever went to were there. I'd always had this thought of, 
well, that would be really cool to come home and play in LA. I mean, I, I have a house here. What a dream that would be. Because <laughs> yeah. that's like a whole nother thing. I don't think, you know, it's, it's one thing I pack my suitcase up and I go away for eight months, but during that eight months, I've got to find an apartment. I've got to, you know, I've got a whole nother set of utilities and it's, it's a pain in the ass. Yeah. So, wow, I can, I can go to the spring training with a little suitcase, come home <laughs> and my car's here. My clothes are here. Everything's here. My dog. So, uh, when I had that opportunity, I jumped on it. Um, it was more me initiating the contact with the Dodgers. They, they really didn't like seek me out. It was more me seeking them out. And they said, well, you know, if you, if you want to come here, sure. And I did. And I ended up having, I think, three of the best years of my uh, time when I was there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So so baseball started for you in high school. Um, how how did you get the, the baseball bug? Did it start with, you know, like your dad or your grandpa or anything like that? Well, I was a little kid, you know, just kind of growing up in the neighborhood. We would we would you know, we would play basketball during basketball season or we'd play baseball, whatever. And, um, it wasn't really that serious of a thing for me growing up until I got into high school. Um, right before the 11th grade, I I was actually kicked off the team my sophomore year. Um, (laughs) or I was told you're no longer needed here. Uh (laughs) Um, so, so I was kind of like on the fence with baseball and, and I signed up in 11th grade, like six period, it would have been a PE class, but it was baseball. And I just never went. And I was going through some tough stuff at home. My father was ill. He eventually ended up passing away, and uh, which is pretty tough at that time in your life. And, and absolutely you know, being into punk rock, I was already rebellious and had like this chip on my shoulder and this anger. And at least that's what punk was back then. Yes. You know? Yeah. And um, so it, it's really crazy how it worked. And, and it's, I probably sound like a shithead for saying it, but, you know, so my dad was always supportive, whether it was, you know, the sports or music, whatever. He built a a music room onto the house for us to jam in when we were in high school. Um, Super supportive. And I remember uh, walking through the school and the baseball coach stopped me at lunchtime and he said, hey, Radinsky. He's like, aren't you in my class? And I said, yeah. He goes, when are you going to show up? And I said, well, I said, my dad just passed away last Friday or whatever day it was, a Sunday, I think it was. And um, I said, maybe I'll start coming. And he kind of looked at me and he went, oh, man, I'm really sorry to hear about that. He's like, we'd love to have you out there. And I showed up to the field that day and he asked me for my jacket size, my hat size. Um, He sent me over to, to this other coach and he said, this guy's a pitching guy. He said, go learn how to pitch. And it's almost like he just took me in and said, no matter what, you're going to be a part of this. You need this right now. And I'll tell you what, man, that fueled some fire. Like that gave me this determination, this drive. I had something to fight for. And uh, it's just the timing of everything in in that part of my life at that moment. Because I was either going to Hollywood and I was just going to go try to make it and live and do whatever I could do and be some gutter punk probably. <laughs> or, uh, and this guy walked up to me, like everything happens for a reason. And he walked up to me in the quad at lunch and said what he said. I, I started going to baseball practice and shit, man, 35 years went by and I made a profession out of the sport. It, it's just crazy how it worked. 
Yeah, that's absolutely, that's, you just don't expect those things to happen, you know. Mm-hmm. You think, oh, okay, well, sure, I'll, I'll give baseball a try. The next yeah. thing you know, it's, it's your profession besides music, you know. Yeah. Um, so you got drafted in high school, right? Correct. And they don't do that anymore, right? Um, they do. They actually okay. do. Um, I didn't think they did because I mean I'm not the most baseball savvy, so you'll have to excuse me. But I'm I'm just like curious. I was thinking. I was like, I don't think they draft in high school anymore. They do, and, and, and you know, you just have to stand out. I think a lot of teams right now, with the way the game is structured and the way the financial side of it's structured, the more closer you are to being major league ready more value you have. So to invest in a high school kid, you you know, you sit back and you think, well, it's going to take four or five years to develop this kid. And usually the regime, the front office that drafts you, they're not even around long enough to see you make it to the major leagues because they're fired in three, four years. That's kind of the the way the cycle works. So it's not uncommon and I wouldn't say it's rare, but you got to be, uh, I think you got to be a high school player that shows some sort of upside that might develop a little quicker. Um, <clears throat> because, you know, those, those years between 18 and 22, those college years, those are huge years for, for an athlete that's, that's developing. And, and the difference between an 18 year old who's, you know, raw and green and a 22 year old who's, you know, got three, four more years under his belt and a little bit more experience. He's polished, more developed he's got a better chance of being drafted for less money because he's not giving up anything other than maybe his senior year of college. Um, And he might go into pro ball and within a year or two, he might find himself at the major league level where as a high school kid, like I said, you're, you've got to, you've got to, now this is today's era, not when I was drafted, but in today's era, you've got to, you've got to come up with the money to, to, to entice a kid to say, well, because if you're, if you have the opportunity to be drafted as a high school player, odds are there's some pretty good top schools that are giving you some sort of scholarship to get an education as well as playing their team. And that's tough for a lot of people to turn away. And especially when your parents are influencing, we want you to go to school and you're not going to go. So it's a, to, to, to make this uh, answer short, no, it's it's not uncommon. Sorry. <laughs> no, 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 no. You're fine. You're fine. I'm, I'm wanting to learn all about this. I'm very, very interested and fascinated in it. So how did it work for you then? You're, you're drafted. I'm assuming it's got to be your senior year, right? Yeah. After high school, I, I graduated. Uh, I graduated on a Friday and then I joined the White Sox rookie ball team in Florida on Saturday. And I started that life. And um, just kind of work your way through the ranks. For me, uh, another crazy, you know, the way it worked out was traditionally there's different levels. So you start at the rookie level, then you'd go to a single A level, a double A level, a triple A level. And eventually, if you're lucky enough, you make it to the big leagues. I want to say 70% of the players in general don't make it out of the single A level. Uh, the double A level is a smaller percentage, and then triple A is who knows. So I toyed around the rookie ball level for three years. I couldn't even sniff the single A level. Finally, in my fourth minor league season, or actually my third full minor league season, 
I got to play on a single A team in South Bend, Indiana, was uh, for the White Sox. I played that whole season, and then the next year I I went to the big leagues, and I never went back. So I I missed the double A opportunity, the triple A opportunity, and I was once again at the right place at the right time. And the team was going through a rebuild, and and in 1990 they said we want you, and they had enough guts to to give me a shot, and it worked out for all of us. Yeah, I would yeah. say so. Yeah. Th- that um, what. So when you're when you're working or when you're playing for these these minor league teams, how does that work exactly? So the White Sox, they have like how many teams do they have that are rookie teams? Uh, traditionally, or minor. It, yeah, minor league teams. It would yeah. be a like I said, it would be a, a rookie ball level team, which is like the fresh kids out of high school, or some yeah. of the younger kids that come from other countries, the Dominican, Puerto Rico, Venezuela, and they have that base in Florida and Arizona. And it's a short season; it's like two months. It's after school's over. It's all the fresh guys that just got drafted in June. They come and they play a July and August season, basically, is what it is. Um, and then there's a single A level, which is a full season. It's, you know, it's a five months, 140 some odd games. And, and um, a lot of teams have two A ball levels. They have a low level and a high level. And there's different leagues around the country um, that have, uh, I guess, the level I played in was in the Midwest League. It was in South Bend and it was considered a low level A ball team. A lot of junior college, a lot of high school players the high A ball team that we had at the time was in Florida. And that would have been, you know, more your like college juniors, uh, you know, your senior guys, your free agent drafts, whatever that you signed older guy, a little bit more experienced. And then double A and triple A is, is, you know, just as you work your way through those levels. So most teams have about four or five minor league affiliates um, include, you know, as well as then they have a major league team. And so when, uh, what, when you were sent up to the, the big leagues, how does it, I know sometimes I read people get sent back. How does that happen? That's something I've always wondered about. Like, you know, you're, you're, you're playing major league, then all of a sudden they send you back to triple a or whatever. Oh, well, it starts with the manager calling in the office and saying, Hey, the organization is going to make a move. Um, I'm fortunate. I honestly can't tell you what that conversation's like. I, yeah. I thank God I was never brought into that. Um, but uh, back before, um, I would say probably before the 2000s, the only reason you would get sent down is by lack of performance. Mm-hmm. Um, if you if you weren't if you if you were a major league player, you could hold your own and you were contributing. You stayed in the big leagues. Um, if you know if you struggled. They send you back. Uh, you go back down to AAA or whatever. They tell you, hey, we need you to go work on this, work on that. And you go down there and work on that skill set and try to get yourself better. And then you come back to the big leagues. Um, nowadays, it all boils down to service time and money. And, and uh, there's a lot of behind the scene things that send guys back or keep guys from coming. And uh, I think in Chicago, just a handful of years ago, there was a kid from the Cubs who was by far the best player on the team, but they weren't going to let him start the year. He had to wait 11 days 
into the season. So they brought him up like mid-April because if they brought him up mid-April, that means they would have had control for another year at the back end of his con at the back end of his you know tenure, which would have been we have this guy for six years instead of five years. There's a lot of crazy politics and and like I said, a lot of business decisions that go into it nowadays. Um, you know, I've been as a coach with some organizations that would take a player and they would say, hey, we're going to send them back just for two weeks to give them a rest. We're going to come up with this bogus reason for him to go on the, the disabled list. Uh, he pulled a calf muscle or something, and we're going to shut him down for two weeks because we want him to be fresh for the last two weeks. That didn't used to happen. It was, you know, you, you gutted through the six months. You, uh, you know, you did what you had to do and, and, you know, put duct tape, scotch tape, whatever it was to get out there on the field. And, and uh, it's different now. It's just yeah. different. And I, I don't know if it's better or worse, but it's uh, sometimes it sucks for the players because that, that, uh, that elevator ride up and down is, it, it can just get mentally, it can get frustrating. I would think so because uh, I, I used to have to put together uh, a sports report for the radio station I work for. Uh, I used to work Saturday mornings and I'd always have to put together a sports report and I'd, you know, kind of read over the sports minutes and, and I'd read, you know, about these guys coming back and forth. And I'm like, man, like, this is crazy. Like how, how do they do that? I, it would just drive me nuts. You know, yeah, it's, it's a bummer. I mean, and I know financially for a lot of them, and you know, a lot of guys that have families and, you know, they're just moving because you don't get time. It's if they called you in tonight, you're expected to be at this, triple a team or double a team tomorrow so if you have a wife and a kid and you're in let's say you're in uh you know somewhere in maine portland maine and your team's in chicago well i don't know we don't, it's not our we don't care how your wife and kid get there but you just better make sure you're there tomorrow and that's kind of the way it works it's and, and that can happen like i said i i've had some guys as a coach that have gone up and down eight nine times a year and that's really hard on somebody. That's, that's a lot. Oh, it's ridiculous. It's like twice a month. It's ridiculous. But that's the way they do it. And um, it sucks. Yeah. I know we could we could go on forever about yeah, the, yeah. you know the baseball stuff. And I, I yeah. obviously I know you're here for, for pulley, but I'm just you know I'm here for you, man. I'm not here for anything. <laughs> well, I'm I'm happy you're here. I'm glad we uh we are able to uh you know reschedule. Um let let's talk about pulley. Um I know, you know, the um the acoustic uh EP album has been out since May now, uh called Different Strings, but it was announced I think it I think it was announced like just what two weeks ago about uh the encore, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what's what's going on with that? <clears throat> well, it, it started with the with the, the four song acoustic record. Um we started a relationship with this company in Europe called Spam. And um they put out that record and then he was really wanting to put out some more stuff. And, and, uh, we had done a live stream last year during the quarantine, uh, a little less than a year ago, I guess, maybe right around a year ago. And, uh, we had a recording of it and we did 13, 14 songs and actually sounded really good. We were in the studio, uh, like this movie type studio thing where they did the the live stream and the engineer said, bring in a hard drive and, and I'll, I'll record it for you. So we did that. Didn't really think much of it. And so when this guy, uh, his name's Stefan with this company spam. Yes. He, he, uh, 
he showed, he wanted to put something out and we had a couple of uh, EPs that we had released over the years that really never got proper, proper, uh, I don't know what you want to call it, but like they were really never put out properly. They were, they were on like kind of our label or a makeshift label up in Canada. Uh, guy helped us out a lot, um, but they just never really got their, they never really got me due, I guess. And, and so we came up with this idea of combining the two EPs together and then taking some of the live songs and putting it together on, on one record as a, I guess maybe like a holdover until we put out a new release, uh, you know, at some point, I think uh, the beginning of the year. Okay. So that's kind of how it, how it transpired. And it's going to be on vinyl with all these different variants, which seems to be really cool. And it was new artwork and just something fresh. Yeah. I mean, and vinyl is, is still going strong. People are loving vinyl. And um, I, I love the idea behind, you know, I, obviously now it, it all makes sense with the name Encore. You're kind of like, here, let's try this again. You know, we want mm-hmm. you to we want you to listen to these songs again, or maybe you didn't know about them before. You know, so oh, for sure. You know, so give them give them another shot. There's I can't tell you how many times I've listened to one of my favorite bands' new records, and I'll listen to it, you know, all the way through once or twice, and I'm like, maybe I'm not feeling it. You know, so I just kind of. I just kind of shelve it. And then some, sometimes a couple years goes by and I'll give it another listen. I'm like, you know what? I'll give it another shot. And then I listen to it. I'm like, how did I not love this? Yeah. <laughs> you know, like what is wrong with me? So I think it's cool that you guys are kind of like, you know, showing your fans like, hey, like we really think you need to give this another listen because this this is some of our our best material and you should give it another shot. You know, well, one of the EPs was five songs. The other was a little seven inch. So there was eight songs. And then when you combine that with the I want to say it's seven live songs that have never been released, I thought, well, that, that could be a cool package. Yeah. And, um, you know, that, that'll be cool. And, and I think it was more like the live stuff that I was excited about, but when I heard the other songs, you know, remastered and I thought, you know, that's like the big thing, right? Remaster, remix, but, <laughs> but, uh, it made a difference and it, it sounds really cool. And I, I can't wait to get my hands on a, on a vinyl and actually check it out. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's always the coolest thing. I'm sure it never gets old to listen to your, your music on vinyl. It has to be such the coolest feeling in the world. Yeah. I, I don't listen to a whole lot of our music, but, <laughs> but um, you know, I, but just to hold the record, you know, itself. And, you know, yeah, I, I was looking at a, a, a reissue that Epitaph did a Eurotaph of a, of the very first record we ever did called a steam driven engine. And they just put out a 25th, your anniversary vinyl variant and I'm holding the record and I'm reading the lyric sheet. And for the first time I could actually understand what I was reading because on the CD, it was so small. I couldn't see anything. I couldn't, I just couldn't read it. And it almost was like to fit everything in, things were blurred and kind of smudgy. But on this, I remembered what it was like being a kid and holding a record in my hand and, and flipping over the back and seeing all the credits and reading the lyrics and where it was recorded. Everything was legible. It was great. It was, yeah. it was great. 
Yeah, I remember I remember those times looking through CD jackets trying to figure out, oh, what's he singing here? It it sounds yeah. like he's saying dog, but he's saying dad, you know, something yeah. else, you know, and 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 the the lyrics would be so small. In Super that hard C- to read. Yeah, and that CD jacket and you're like, I yeah. can't I can't read it, you know. Yeah. So, yeah, I know exactly what you mean. So, I know uh Encore uh, pre-order is still available for that, right? I believe so. Yeah. I I had it pulled up a little while ago, and I can't remember Sorry, let me see if I can get that up again. I just want to make sure. Do you remember the release date on it? Because that's something I couldn't remember either. I don't know if it's even <laughs> released yet, to be honest with you. I don't think it is. I think no, it's, I think it's just, uh, well, let's see. just the pre-orders. August 12th is when it was announced. Right. No, but it... it it looks like it's still available as far as I know, as yeah, far as I, I can tell here. I'm pretty sure it's just a pre-order still. I don't know when the re- – yeah. I, I could be wrong. Oh, I September could... 24th. There we go. That's when yeah. it's coming out, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so the – I should probably know that, but I, I don't. <laughs> hey, I, I should have known that too because I know somewhere I had a press release on it. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, so so the one side is the two EPs, then the other side is the live. Or it's or a double. It, it's, it's, it's a double record, I think. I I want to say a, it is a double record. You know, my I have apologies. A, I have a billion emails, but I want to <laughs> say that it is two records. It's like a at, at forty five RPMs. For sound quality, it actually, oh, okay. it's supposed to sound on a twelve-inch disc. It's supposed to sound better, but that's what we'll I've see. heard. That's yeah. what I've heard. Um, I, I was been doing some reading online recently about vinyl, and I did read that, and I thought that was interesting. Yeah. So, um, so that'll be cool to uh, that'll be cool to hear that at forty-five speed. Then, so hopefully, I could be wrong on that, but we'll yeah, see. it doesn't say anything about that, but. It you know it, it gives the release date of September twenty fourth, mm-hmm. and obviously you can pre order it right now. So everyone should should go do that. And these are some really cool looking uh, variants, by the way. I really like these. I've been blown away at some of the stuff that's been put out lately, just by a lot of bands. And like the the the, the discs are so striking to your eyes. I mean, they're they're you want to eat them almost they're like big lollipops. <laughs> they do. I know? thought I thought about that. I just want to put it on a stick and exactly you know. eat it, lick it. <laughs> um, so, are, does Pulley have any shows uh, coming up at all? I I think maybe there's a, a festival date or two, if I'm not mistaken. We do have uh, we have a couple shows coming up in September. Um, we just booked a show in October yesterday, and then we have a, a couple of shows in November. One of them's a, a, a big festival here in Orange County, LA area. And then, uh, most of the stuff that we had booked for this year has all been pushed back to 22. So once we get into 2022, we've got a pretty decent amount of stuff on the schedule, uh, you know, both local, international, Canada, um, so I'm looking forward to that. It's it's been a kind of I think it's been almost two years now in the in the in the making of pushing these dates back and yeah and uh, you know the the airline credit ran out so we mm. kind of got screwed uh, you know a lot of 
a lot of financial issues with trying to book a tour and then having it flop out like that. But it was all for the better. I mean, nothing was going to happen. Yeah, exactly. You know, yeah. it, it's uh, it's a, still a, a rocky uh, time, but I mean, it's like live music is happening, but it's still it's iffy. You know, it's sketchy. It's, it's sketchy. It's sketchy. Although they're packing three hundred thousand people for a hundred thousand people in what is it, Grant Park? What do they call it? They're uh, oh for, for Lollapalooza, yeah. Riot Fest. I Riot mean, Fest is still happening. I was shocked. So I went to uh, Wrigley Field to see the Hella Mega Tour. Oh, cool. And I was, uh, I mean, Wrigley has, you know, just like most, I guess most places do right now, they have, you know, if you're vaccinated, you don't have to wear a mask, but if you aren't, you do, you know, that kind of thing. But I was surprised they didn't uh, adopt, and maybe they have by now, or maybe they will, but the whole, like, uh, you have to have uh, proof of a vaccination card or proof of negative covid test like they didn't require that i was just surprised because you know that's i don't know how big wrigley is but you know obviously thousands upon thousands of people i mean it was sold out you know and and your shoulders so i was i was really surprised at that yeah well i mean I know everybody's got their own opinions on this particular subject. And right. I, I, I personally, I, I think that one of the hottest selling items on the internet right on the black market right now is a fake ID, a fake uh, vaccinated card. It really uh, is, you know, which, which sucks for the people, yes. you know, for the people who've gone through it. And it just, yep. that's the lack of respect that people have for each other. So uh, I still, I still walk around and I, I think to myself, you know, if I'm around 50 people, I know that 25 of them are not vaccinated and mm-hmm. they don't give a shit about me. Um, so I just kind of stand over to my side. I, I don't know what I'm going to react like when I get into a big group of people. Cause I haven't been yet. And yeah. uh, I know that just being vaccinated doesn't mean shit. I mean, look at all the people that still die. Yeah. And, and, you know, I have underlying health conditions myself. And not to be all preachy or paranoid, I'm not going to stop my life, but I'm certainly going to try to protect myself and and do everything I can. And it sucks when people around you don't and don't care enough. And all they care about is, I want to go to the show or I want to go to this event. And it's like, well, there's responsibilities as a human being that you owe to these other human beings and you don't give a shit. So you don't care. And, you know, it's like the ones who have the fake card. It's, yeah, I, I hope there's a way they can really figure it's like, I hope there's a way they can figure this out. Because like what you said about if you're vaccinated, you you know, you don't wear a mask. If you are, you do. Well, how do you know? You yeah. Know? Is it the honor system with something like that? Because that's that's it, not going to work for me. It you know, it must be. And I, I know that was what they were supposed to do for Lollapalooza. But how well that was executed, I'm not sure, because, you know, we're right. talking once again, thousands upon thousands of people, you know, right. and I know more and more venues are adopting that same protocol of, you know, you, you have to show proof of vaccination or a negative COVID test, you know. Um, and, or, they're, uh, or they're just doing it at the front end just to cover their ass and then, you know, really not enforcing yeah, any see, of it. Yeah, see, right. It, it depends on who's executing the, mm-hmm. the, um, the, the policy you know um 
Rachel says uh, the jo- Jonas Brothers tour just announced negative COVID test or vaccination card for their whole tour. So, you know, see, then again, see, it's it, it varies. Sometimes it's the venues, sometimes it's the promoter or sometimes it's the artist, you know, right. and and the, and the, jo- the Jonas Brothers case, it's the it's them. So I, you know. I, I know everybody, everybody has. To, to make a living somehow. And, and the people that have been fortunate enough to make a living playing music, uh, you know, they, they have the right to do, to, to earn a living. Yeah. Um, but I do have a lot of respect for some of the bands that have pulled out and said, you know, until this shit kind of dies down a little bit, we're not, we're not going to put 10,000 people, 20,000 people uh, in harm's way potentially. And mm-hmm. I, I have a lot of respect for that. Um, you know, cause I think it takes bigger balls to do that to go stand on stage and and like so I'm getting preachy now, and I don't want to. <laughs> no, I don't think I don't think you're getting preachy. I mean, it it yeah. makes sense. I think the ones um, that <clears throat> the ones that can afford to do it are the ones that are you know pulling back and saying, okay, you know, we can we can wait longer, you know. But right. obviously, there's some they oh, yeah. can't they can't afford to do it, so they're they're just doing the best that they can with the situation you know so yeah i mean the industry was hit hard that's for sure yeah absolutely yeah. among many other things so oh, for sure. many many other industries but mm-hmm. um scott this was so much fun man um, awesome thank you so much for for talking with me and answering my baseball questions and um oh. i just think uh i just think it's so fascinating that you know like you're you're a punk rock baseball player how cool is that <laughs> you know yeah. um and i feel like you're the only one unless there's another one that i don't know about but i've never heard of another one so none that i know of yeah see so, so. i mean you know you're going to you've got You've got your name to fame, man, you know, so, and, uh, and I mean, it's, um, it's exciting that, you know, Pulley is, is still, still going after all this time. Yeah. Very, uh, fortunate and grateful for the way everything's turned out and the opportunity to still basically play music with my friends and, yep. and, uh, get on stage and do it and record. And I mean, that's what being in a band's all about. So to have that opportunity is super grateful. Absolutely. So, uh, by the way, the link to get the Encore vinyl, it's shop.sbam.rocks, uh, uh, and that's S-B-A-M is how it's spelled. So, uh, so shop.sbam.rocks. So, if you want to pre-order that. Or, um, I, I don't know if there's any any copies left of the different strings or not but i know there's other pulley merch too that's available there mm-hmm. so um but you can you can find find all of that there uh scott is there anything else um pulley related or that you uh, mentioned can't really think of anything off the top of my head no uh okay. just, like i said just excited about what's what's coming down the future uh with you know the new songs new recording shows in the future uh Hopefully everything turn you know goes as goes as planned and, and is smooth and yeah everybody keeps doing their part staying safe so we can uh, get back to back back to doing it at a regular level 
Yes, exactly. Where it feels yeah. more normal and we don't all feel all like, oh my gosh, germs everywhere. Yeah. You know, so I know that's what was going through my head when I was at Wrigley. You know, it was just For like, sure. it was weird. You know, just being imagine. like that close to that many people, I just, it felt strange. So, yeah. but uh, Scott, you have a, a great night and uh, I can't wait to, uh, to listen to, to Encore. Awesome. Well, thank you. It was a good chat and uh, hopefully we'll talk soon. Yeah, I hope so, man. All right. All right. Have a good night. You too. Thanks. Thanks. All right. Let's uh, let's give Scott a uh, round of applause once again from Holy for uh, being on the podcast. It was truly an honor and a privilege to talk to uh, someone as well known as he is in the skate punk world. And then also to Christian Fisher of Settle Your Scores. That was also a special treat as well. Uh, besides, you know, pre-ordering uh, Pulley's Vinyl Encore, I highly, highly suggest you listen to Settle Your Scores uh, new album retrofit. I really do think that uh, this album has the potential to be a new pop punk classic for uh, years to come. So give that a listen and uh, buy that as well. And uh, give our, our sponsor, Pop Punk Takeout, uh, some support as well. You can go to poppunktakeout.com and uh, pre order their September box right now, which is actually a bunch of awesome smart punk records artists, including Krista Makes of Less Than Jake. So go to poppunktakeout.com. Also follow them on Twitter, Facebook, and TikTok at poppunktakeout. And then as I said earlier, or at the beginning of this episode, I am going to go forward with rolling out a Kickstarter to help cover the costs of recovering the lost data on my external hard drive where I stored all of uh, Pop Punk and Pizza stuff and also uh, the other podcast I have, uh, Kankakee Podcast. It's all under the Lamore Media uh, umbrella. Um, I am going to roll out a Kickstarter for that. So I haven't, you know, nothing's all decided on this yet. So I'm, I'm looking to get your input on what rewards you would like to pledge for. So please feel free to, to hit me up on our uh, Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Pop Punk Pizza Pod, or even just shooting me an email at bangerangradio@gmail.com and being like, hey, man, I just want to be a co-host on one episode of the podcast. I'll pledge for that or pledge for a, a special t-shirt, whatever it is. I want to know what you would want to pledge for, for this Kickstarter, because I got to dig up about $2,600 to pay for the recovery of the data. And then I also need to pay for a proper backup system so that this doesn't happen to me again. I promise I've, uh, I've learned my, uh, lesson on that. So um, I'm Jacques L'Amour. Thank you so much once again for watching our live stream or just listening to the podcast on your favorite podcast app. Thank you so much for that. Uh, we do live stream each episode uh, every Wednesday at 7 p.m. Central Time on our Facebook, our Twitch, and our YouTube accounts, just in case you ever want to watch it live. I will uh, talk to you again next uh, Wednesday, uh, 7 p.m. Central Time. That'll be September. It'll be our first episode for September, September 1st. And we will be talking with Flight Club about their new release and a guest 
uh, besides them that I have yet to announce. So if you follow us on all the socials, you'll find out who it is eventually. So have a great uh, rest of the day, and I will talk to you next week. Hello, it's nice to meet you. Hey, come in and have a slice of pizza.